Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Oh my gosh. We have so much to talk about today that I don't have time to talk about because I showed up late to the studio. Um, I want to talk about Obama's soiree. I want to talk about the hypocrisy. I want to talk about uh, the fact that they just don't care. The people in power do not care about the double standards. They do not care about any of that. I had a Twitter thread on that, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the eviction moratorium. I want to talk about the infrastructure belt. There's so much I want to talk about, but I've got to talk about something else first, and then we'll talk about some of that stuff tomorrow. I only have time to talk about this one subject that, as you guys know, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, I really care about, and I'll explain why I care about, and that is um, this issue of gender, especially as it pertains to women and girls' protection and um, their rights. And because I care about this, I also care about speaking the truth about this, which means that I am not going to acquiesce uh, when it comes to my language to absurdity. I am not going to validate something that I think is a harmful delusion when it's applied uh, societally by bending what I say to conform to it. Um, and for that, I got a 12-hour suspension from Twitter, specifically for saying that even though Laurel Hubbard, the transgender Olympic weightlifter, lost, uh, his inclusion in the Women's Olympics is still not fair because men should not be competing against women. He still took the spot of a woman who had been working her whole life to get to the Olympics, whereas he wouldn't have gotten anywhere close to the Olympics had he been competing against other men. Now, I don't believe in being cruel to him. I don't believe in, you know, trying to be mean uh, mean to him in any way, but I do believe in speaking the truth, especially when it comes to this subject. Um, so I was prevented from tweeting for 12 hours. I was told that um, if I keep it up, that I'll get permanently banned. So that does not bode well for the longevity of my existence on Twitter. Um, and their reason was specifically, so I got an email from them. This is the first time I've been suspended from Twitter, even though I've said stuff like this before. Uh, they said it was hate speech. It promoted violence, they said, which is just so crazy because it didn't at all. It did not promote violence in any way. I would never, you guys know me, I would never advocate for violence against anyone, no matter their lifestyle or their identity or political affiliation, no matter how fiercely I disagree with them. I understand that the new progressive idea is that words are violence or even sometimes silence is violence, but that physical violence in response to those things is not violence. But I am not going to go along with that redefinition of terms and with that madness. Stating a fact is not violence. It is not inciting violence in any way. That kind of thinking is absolutely is absolutely destructive to a democracy. Um, Twitter allows Chinese state propaganda, the leaders of Iranian terrorist regimes, anarcho-terrorists, doxing, abuse, obscenity, all kinds of misinformation to thrive on their site without any censorship whatsoever. But if I say that a man is a man, uh, more specifically uh, about a particular athlete, uh, then I am kicked off. So, in case you're new here, I do want to 
explain my position on this because it is backed by fact, which makes the tyranny of big tech even crazier. It's not that someone is spreading in some kind of harmful misinformation that they're censoring. They're censoring facts that they don't like. And are they technically free to do that? Sure. But I don't think that's a very good argument for suspending someone for just saying something that is true. Now, for anyone who watched this happen and who said, oh, well, you know, she's just being a flamethrower. She's just being a provocateur. That is not me. Now, Do I say things that are controversial? Yes. But if you've been following me for long enough, you know that that is never my intention. Like, I, it is not my brand, if you will, to be clickbaity. It is not my brand to try to just trigger someone or to purposely offend someone. I take pains to very clearly explain um, my positions. Now, That doesn't mean that my positions are not controversial, certainly to the secular left, um, but they are not presented in a way that is meant to simply stir the pot or make people mad or cause conflict. If they do that, that is that is incidental. That is not their purpose. So I have been very clear on this and have explained this position on so-called gender identity extremely thoroughly with all the necessary nuance and specificity and gentleness and biblical exegesis and history and biology. Um, I have I have talked about gender identity and transgenderism and sex uh, for a long time very thoroughly. We have defined our terms. We have traced back the origins of the concept of gender identity. We have talked to journalists and psychologists and activists and politicians of a variety of political and religious backgrounds on the subject. Um, and I'll link some of those previous episodes uh, in the show notes. But I'm going to kind of summarize, re-explain my position today, especially if you're new here and maybe you've never heard it talked about very thoroughly before. If you consider yourself kind of an apolitical person and you don't know why any of this matters, or if you're someone who's on the other side of the aisle and you're one of the people who's like, why do you, why do you even care about this? Why do you care how people live their lives? The answer is, I don't, but in certain scenarios you have to because it affects other people's lives. And so um, let, let me let me explain. Let me explain where I'm coming from in all of this and why I really think all of this matters. Um, before I do, however, I want to tell you guys about our first sponsor for today, and that is Annie's Kit Club. So they've got the perfect subscription boxes for both boys and girls that keep them creative, constructive, and engaged at the kitchen table. Uh, you don't have to go searching for craft supplies. Um, and you don't have to uh, make sure that you're monitoring them the whole time. These craft, these projects are really meant for them to be able to do pretty independently. Uh, they've got the Young Woodworkers Kit Club, which is a monthly subscription that sends kids real hammer and nails construction kits. They even include real tools, starting with a kid-sized hammer. Your kids can build complete kits with minimal supervision. They've also got Annie's Creative Girls Club. That can introduce your girls to new crafts with every shipment each month. She receives two kits complete with easy to follow instructions, kickstart her creativity through painting, beading, and more. So your kids can master new hands-on skills while expressing their creativity, a really good alternative to, you know, endless hours of screen time. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. 
75% on your first shipment. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie to save 75% off your first shipment. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. So here's my position on gender identity and, and why this stuff matters and why I insist on saying things that I know can get me kicked off places like Twitter. Um, so gender as an identity independent from sex does not exist in actuality. I know that in itself is a very controversial sentence. Um, It's actually a concept invented by a doctor named John Money in the 1960s who tested his hypothesis that gender norms are just uh, a product of our environment and has nothing to do with biology on a pair of twin boys, one of whom was being raised as a girl by his parents at Money's recommendation. Uh, He forced them to perform sexual acts on each other while they were children, while he and other doctors watched really grotesque really sad oprah actually interviewed one of the one of the victims several years ago so this used to be kind of like a very mainstream story like people knew about it not as many people know about it today sadly um the boy who was being raised as a girl was actually never comfortable as a girl he reclaimed his identity as a man later in life but Later, uh, tragically, he and his brother both committed suicide, likely due to all of the trauma and the confusion um, and the abuse that they were raised with. And we will include a a link to that story in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. Um, So the experiment by Dr. John Money was was failed. The hypothesis just was false. It, It wasn't true. This idea that gender is entirely a social construct that's malleable and can be exited or entered at will just is not true. That doesn't mean that some gender norms are not socially constructed because I think they are. Obviously, they can change by culture and, you know, throughout time. But there are inherent differences between boys and girls because of our biological differences, which are significant. Uh, That can never ever be changed by our environment, by our stated identity, by hormone therapy or surgery. Now, there are people who suffer from a very rare disorder called gender dysphoria, where their internal feelings do not match their external biological reality. They feel very intense discomfort in their bodies and with their sex, um, and they have a, a very strong, persistent desire to present themselves as the opposite sex and to live as convincingly as the other sex is possible. Um, This is classified in the fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which was published in 2013, also known as DSM-5, as either gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. Um, At the time, researchers noted that, quote, the prevalence of gender dysphoria is 0.005 to 0.14% for adult uh, adult adults born as males, whereas it is 0.002 to 0.003% for adults born as females. Um, among children, it is higher in those born as boys, where it is uh, 2 to 4.5 times greater than those born as girls. Among teenagers, there is no real statistical difference between males and females. That is what the DSM-5 says. 
And yeah, so that was 2013. And yeah, in 2020, the CDC reported that 0.6% of the adult population identify as transgender. So that's a big increase in just seven years. Uh, There has also been a a marked increase in reports of gender dysphoria among girls. A phenomenon public health researcher, Lisa Lippman, wrote about in 2018 that got her in a lot of hot water, if you remember that. Abigail Schreier, whom we've had on this podcast and who wrote the book Irreversible Damage about this phenomenon. Uh, She writes about Lippmann's findings. She says, quote, Lisa Lippmann was scrolling through social media when she noticed that a group of teen girls from her small town in Rhode Island, all from the same friend group, had come out as transgender. Intrigued by the statistical unlikelihood, Lippmann began to study the phenomenon and, in 2018, published the results. She hypothesized that transgender identification had become one more peer contagion among adolescent females. Anxiety-ridden, middle-class girls who once engaged in cutting or anorexia were now wearing binders, breast-compressing undergarments, taking testosterone, and undergoing voluntary double mastectomies. Um, She says, I have interviewed over four dozen families whose teen daughters become caught in this current. Their stories follow a pattern. A girl never expresses any discomfort with her biological sex until puberty, when anxiety and depression descend. Uh, The girl struggles to make friends. She immerses in social media and discovers transgender gurus online. Or her, uh, or her school holds an assembly celebrating gender journeys or hosts a gay-straight alliance club pushing gender ideology. At first, she tries out a new name and pronouns. Her school encourages her, keeping all this a secret from her parents. Then she wants more. I highly recommend Abigail Schreier's work and, and book on this. She's written a lot about it. Um, 60 Minutes we talked about a few weeks ago did uh, a special on detransitioners that also landed them in hot water. You know, you're not really allowed to talk about this stuff, the powers that be say, uh, where young person after young person that they interviewed gave their testimony about how they just glided into hormone therapy and surgery really without any pushback from doctors. And then they later came to seriously regret it. Now, I'm not saying that that accounts for every person, every young person who transitions, but It is a percentage of young people that transition, and we should be looking at these stories because in reality, um, these young people had other mental health issues going on that were not actually gender dysphoria. And because now acceptance and total affirmation are seen as the only acceptable treatments when someone says that they may be the opposite sex or they feel like the opposite sex, they were allowed as minors in many cases to go through procedures that have changed their lives and bodies in some ways forever. Some will never have real breasts again, will never be able to have children, will never fully look like their sex, the suicide rate for transgender people around the world, even in the most progressive societies and affirming families, is much higher than the general population. And at least in my amateur estimation, it's because they're not getting the help they need. And we're just pushing people into surgery who don't actually have gender dysphoria and or, and, or are not helped by surgery. Um, there are all kinds of disorders that exist that have to do uh, with bodies and sexuality and gender that do not mean that a person really thinks they're the opposite sex and certainly don't mean they need to be pushed into hormone therapy and surgery. It could be, for example, 
body dysmorphia that's sometimes experienced by people with eating disorders who see their bodies as as flawed. Uh, In some cases, there are adolescents who are uncomfortable with their homosexual desires and assume those desires mean that they must actually be the opposite sex. It could also be autogonophilia, which DSM-5 categorizes as a paraphilia that causes a man to get uh, sexually aroused by cross-dressing. It could be a paraphilia that causes a man to be excited by entering into women's spaces and revealing themselves to women. In some cases, transgenderism um, is unfortunately being exploited by predators. Now, this is not to say that all or most or a large percentage of transgender people are victimizers. I'm certainly not saying that. This is to say that this is and will continue to be a diagnosis that is unfortunately hijacked by people, men specifically, with malintent. Um, That story that we talked about a few weeks ago about a woman who reported uh, reported seeing a man who identified this woman apparently walk around naked in the ladies' section of a spot in L.A. in front of little girls, um, he very likely does not actually have gender dysphoria. That behavior is not in alignment with how the DSM-5 describes gender dysphoria. People who feel that they are the other sex, if you actually listen to them, typically have a desire to hide their anatomy and sex characteristics. Um, Unfortunately, in the name of gender identity, there are and will be men who get a free pass for that kind of perversion and predation that we reportedly, um, that that we saw uh, reportedly happen uh, in that California spa. And speaking of California, there is a new law there that allows male inmates, even convicted sexual abusers, to be placed in cells with women as long as the male inmate says that he is a woman. Abigail Schreier, again, has reported um, on this for the Wall Street Journal. She's talked about the sexual assault that has occurred, unfortunately, in some circumstances as a result um, of that new policy in these prisons. And guess what? It's now been reported that in one California prison, a female inmate was impregnated by a male identifying as a woman in prison. So, This kind of thing is going to be the case in women's locker rooms, bathrooms, abuse shelters, etc. Women and children, girls will be the victims of this revolution because men and women are different. So when people say, why do you care? Why do you care about how people live their lives? Well, the answer is, I don't actually, like, I don't care how someone dresses or if they change their name or if an adult wants to get surgery. While I certainly don't agree with that, they can have at it without my approval, of course. But I do care when it starts to affect other women's privacy, safety, and and also fairness in competition. I care when I'm kicked off Twitter for stating that a male is a he. Laurel Hubbard lived for 35 years as a man. I mean, identifying as one. And now because he grew his hair out, I have to say she? Why? Biology is not bigotry, which means if I call someone a man who is by definition an adult human male, that is not hate. The truth is, This concept is affecting what we can say and what we can't say, what can and can't be taught in school. Uh, And it's affecting women's spaces and safety and fairness in female uh, athletic competition. So that means that I care. As a mother with a stake in the future, I care. Isn't that empathy, by the way? By the way, 
to care about issues that don't directly and immediately affect you? Like if we care about reality and sanity and science and public policy at all, we have to acknowledge that. Gender dysphoria, however much it may be being hijacked right now, is real. Of course, I acknowledge that anyone who says that it's fake or who minimizes the pain of people who are really experiencing it uh, is wrong. There is a lot of very intense distress felt by people who suffer from that. Uh, These people deserve compassion. They deserve help without judgment. But that compassion and help does not have to force me or anyone else to deny that biological reality exists. Their very real suffering does not make everyone else responsible to deny the very real differences between male and female, which are incontrovertible and have in no way been controversial at all anywhere in the world for most of history. Uh, The differences start in the womb. They start in the womb. And we're going to look at the science in that and some of the studies on that in just one second. First, I've got to tell you about my next sponsor, which is one of my favorites, and that is Good Ranchers. You guys have heard me talk about Good Ranchers before and how awesome their product is. We love to get our meat from Good Ranchers. Their product is 100% American. So when you buy your steak and chicken from Good Ranchers, not only are you getting ethically raised, sustainably sourced meat, you are also supporting American farms. My friends at Good Ranchers have traveled the United States and they have met with the farmers that they work with. They are guaranteed. They are giving you high quality, ethically raised craft beef and better than organic chicken. And it ships right to your door, individually wrapped, vacuum sealed, ready to grill or to freeze. We had to buy a large freezer so we could make sure that we could put all of our Good Ranchers meat in there. It makes our life so much easier. It's super convenient and it's also very affordable. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Check out the Family Feast bundle, which includes steak and chicken. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. You can subscribe to get that uh, to get that monthly box of meat. And when you do, you save 20% on each box. That brings the cost down to less than $5 a meal. If you go to my link, GoodRanchers.com slash Allie, you get an additional $20 off and free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie or promo code Allie at checkout for that extra $20 off and free express shipping. Goodranchers.com slash Allie. So as I say, the differences start in the womb. Boys' brains and bodies develop differently in the womb than girls. Boys have bigger lungs, greater anaerobic capacity, greater aerobic capacity, greater bone density, greater muscle mass. They're generally more aggressive than girls are. Um, Testosterone levels play a huge part in how bodies function and develop, and boys start out with uh, a lot more than girls do. Then it falls and is comparable to girls before puberty. Uh, Then boys' testosterone increases dramatically during and after puberty, and girls' testosterone does not. Uh, The testosterone, though, that boys are born with makes a big difference in their development as kids even, and the testosterone boys have as teenagers and then as men makes even weak men stronger than most women. Uh, That doesn't mean that no girl could ever beat a boy in anything. It means in the vast majority of cases, men are going to be able to outrun, outcompete women, and yes, even overpower women. Um, It is not a coincidence 
that throughout history, men have been the fighters and the warriors and in really terrible circumstances, the predators. That's not a social construct. In general, that's what superior strength and aggression allows for, strength used for protection or for predation. Uh, remember the Duke Law School study that we've cited, uh, which I will link again so you can look at it for uh, yourself, which shows the vast differences between male and female athletes. So the study says this, if you know sport, you know this beyond a reasonable doubt. There is an average of a 10 to 12% performance gap between elite males and elite females. The gap is smaller between elite females and non-elite males, but it's still insurmountable, and that's ultimately what matters. The Duke University researchers report that in 2017, Tori Bowies, uh, she's an Olympic champion in the 100-meter dash. She's a three-time Olympic medalist. Um, her lifetime record in the 100-meter dash was beaten by men and boys over 15,000 times. The same is true for Allison Felix. She also just uh, won again in this uh, present Olympics. Uh, the same is true for her 400-meter dash record. It was beaten over 15,000 times by men and boys in 2017. So we're talking about non-Olympic men and boys. And by boys, uh, we are talking about boys 18 and under was beat thousands of times by just your average, not your average, but your uh, just a high school boy, Allison Felix, an Olympic champion. And that is because they are boys and she is a woman. So they compared the track time for a variety of events of the world's best and fastest women to the times of the fastest boys under the age of 18. Every single category, 100 meters, 400 meters, high jump, triple jump, the world's fastest adult women were beat by what would be high school boys, boys under the age of 18. So the times of the fastest high school boys, according to this study, were faster than the times of female Olympic athletes. For every single women's record for a track event, there are often hundreds of under 18 boys who beat that record and hundreds, if not thousands of men who beat that record. There is not a, a track event out there where women beat men, not a single one. So here's what the study itself concludes. This differential isn't the result of boys and men having a male identity, more resources, better training, or superior discipline. It's because they have an androgenized body. The results make clear that sex determines win share. Female athletes, here defined as athletes with ovaries instead of testes and testosterone levels capable of being produced by the female, not androgenized body, are not competitive for the win against males, here defined as athletes with testes and T levels in the male range. The lowest end of the male range is three times higher than the highest end of the female range. Consistent with females' far lower T levels, the female range is also very narrow, while the male range is broad. So it's not a debate. And even some of you who say, well, you know, like estrogen therapy for boys who want to identify as girls, that will make them the same as girls and they'll be competitive. No, 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 no. Remember, it starts in the womb. Boys are born with more testosterone. It actually does drop off from those ages but before puberty, but they are still born with more testosterone because their bodies are created differently and developed differently in the womb. That doesn't mean, again, that there are no girls that are stronger than boys, but there are inherent differences that make competition between the two in most athletic uh, events inherently unfair. It's not a debate. 
Biology matters. Sex matters. Not just in athletic competition, but in women's only spaces. So in order for women to be protected, they have to be protected by sex because it is because of our sex, not gender identity, that women need protection. Women are abused because we are biologically, anatomically women, not because we identify as women. Female genital mutilation, for example, isn't an abuse of people who identify as girls. The hardship that women face uh, in other parts of the world, the sex-selective abortions, the forced child marriages, for example, is because of their sex, not their so-called gender identity. Women's rights have to be sex-based rights to be anything at all. That does not mean that people who identify as transgender are not victimized in their own ways. They are, but that is a different category. So erasing the category of real biological women, I shouldn't even have to put that descriptor in front of it, but I do, will hurt women and girls. And I refuse to do it. I refuse to play along with it. I refuse to give even a centimeter to the madness. All of you conservative outlets who are affirming the absurdity by using the pronouns corresponding to that insanity are part of the problem. If you think that that is just being polite or kind, you have already given into the progressive definitions of kindness, which is total and unconditional affirmation of any and all delusions. I do not believe in purposely trying to hurt someone's feelings. I really don't. I think that we should go out of our way to be kind and generous and hospitable to people who are transgender. But we have to be able to do that without bearing false witness, which I as a Christian am commanded not to do. If the same God who is love, as 1 John 4, 8 says, also says that he made the male and female in Genesis 1 and Matthew 19, then it cannot be unloving for me to say the same thing because we can't out-love or out-compassion or out-empathy God. We can't do it because he is love. So if he says something, he says it from love. And he says that the male-female dichotomy is an intentional creation that reflects his own image. Now, I think that if you're talking one-on-one with someone who is transgender, I don't recommend on, on, you know, on calling them necessarily to their face, their, their true uh, pronouns that correlate with their sex. Um, if that means that they are going to not have a conversation with you, like if your goal is connection to that person, then there is a way uh, probably to do that uh, with uh, avoiding the use of pronouns altogether or just having a really honest conversation with them and saying, look, you're made in the image of God. You have just as much value as I do. I love you. I believe in loving you as I love myself, as Jesus commands us to do of all of our neighbors. But look, here's where I stand when it comes to sex. And because I know you and I know who you are and because I care about you and I care about truth, like here's where I stand and here's where my language stands on this. And so I don't think that you have to just be brazen and rude about it to someone's face. But when we're talking about these issues in the public square, I think our language is so important. It's so important that we are precise and that we define our terms. And if we define man as adult human male, then using male pronouns, again, is not hate. And so we have to stand firmly in reality and in love. Um, I just don't think acquiescence, especially in the realm of our language, is the way 
to do that. Um, and so I encourage you to stand strong in both in truth and in love when it comes to this. If you're a journalist, if you're an influencer, if you're just a friend, family member, whatever it is, there is a way through radical honesty, transparency, and um, adherence to the word of God and a commitment to actual love and compassion, not the pithy kind of superficial love that uh, that secularists try to uh, try to use. Um, then I think that we can, in maybe an effective way, push back on some of this madness, even if it means being kicked off Twitter. Now, one thing I know I didn't talk about that we don't have time to talk about right now, um, a lot of people ask, okay, what about intersex people? Those are biological anomalies. They deserve understanding compassion too. I think it's wrong to use them as some kind of uh, political football in all of this. That just doesn't make sense. They're biological anomalies that do not, uh, that exception does not change the rule of us being made male and, and female. It just doesn't in the same way that even though there are some people that are born with one leg, it doesn't change the fact that humans are bipeds. Um, and so there are a lot of people who are experts in intersex and that kind of biological anomaly, and they deserve to have their own category. They shouldn't be conflated uh, with this political and ideological issue. And I think it's very dehumanizing and rude to do so. And it also lacks compassion. So let us be leaders in compassion and in truth as Christians. That's all I've got time for today. One more thing, though, before we go, um, I got to tell you guys about my last sponsor. And it's a really, really important one because they're doing such important work in it has to even do sometimes with what we're talking about today. That's Alliance Defending Freedom. They have been standing up for uh, religious liberty, for free speech, sanctity of life, um, marriage, parental rights in America's highest courts. They do all of that uh, at no cost to their clients. It's completely funded by the generosity of patriots like you. Um, we've got a lot of things that are under attack right now that we care about. ADF needs your support now more than ever to protect those liberties. So go to adflegal.org slash Allie. Get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins Absolutely Free. Discover why fighting for what's right isn't just important for today but how it impacts our nation for generations to come. We've got to stand together on this. That's why we have to support uh, these organizations who are on the front lines. A lot of you always, you know, you ask me, what do I do? What do I do? Well, sometimes it might not be your direct action right now. It might be supporting the organizations that are already taking the actions um, on our behalf. And that is true of Alliance Defending Freedom. So go to adflegal.org slash adflegal.org slash All right, tomorrow I will be here with Justin Haskins, and uh, I had him on a few months ago to talk about the Great Reset. He has been writing about this, studying this for a, a very long time. He's got a lot of really interesting insight. We're going to be talking about maybe something that you've heard of, maybe not. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, BlackRock buying homes, turning them into rental property, how that plays into everything that's been happening, the redistribution of wealth that's been happening over the past year and a half. And we'll talk about why you really, really need to know what's going on in that arena. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow's episode. See you guys then. Oh,